we have uh, been through strange times, haven't we? And in some ways, we are still in strange times. Uh, there's been a, a global pandemic. Uh, we've been without a pastor for over a year now. And uh, besides pandemics and uh, the situation in, in the church, some of us have been struggling with mental health, perhaps. Um, some of us have been under some financial pressures. Uh, perhaps there, there are other health problems, not just viruses that we have to contend with. There are lots of things that seem to be and actually are outside of our control. And there, there are lots of things, problems that seem to have no simple solutions. In these strange times that, that we're living in, what do we trust in? I know you know the answer, uh, and even some of you watching YouTube, you know the answer. But what do we actually trust in? We know the right answer, but what do we actually trust in? Perhaps some of us uh, are feeling more cautious about the virus and think uh, we need to make sure we uh, keep distant and um, we, we keep things online, uh, don't get close to people, and we need to keep these regulations as strict as we can to prevent the, the spread of this virus. Others might be less cautious on the other side of the spectrum and uh, might be thinking, we need to get things back to normal. We need to be meeting together and uh, we need to get back to the, the golden era of January 2020. Then things will be great again. Perhaps some of us are trusting in getting a new pastor or getting a certain type of pastor. Once we get that pastor, then things will be okay. What do we trust in? I think this is the, the key question of this passage. The, the word trust comes up uh, about eight times in the passage I just read. And it's, it's the key question. What do we trust in? Or who do we trust in? Just a, a bit of background. So this is a story about King Hezekiah, uh, the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel uh, has been attacked by Assyria, which was the, the world power at that point. Um, uh, the Assyrians put a siege around the city of Samaria, which was the capital city of, of the northern kingdom of Israel. And after a three-year siege, you imagine how grueling that must have been, uh, the city falls, Israel is destroyed, the people are sent into exile and scattered, uh, the nation is destroyed. And just eight years later, after that, Assyria comes for Judah. The king of Assyria has already taken some of the fortified cities in Judah. And then he comes to Jerusalem. But in this uh, time, the king of Judah was Hezekiah. He was a good king. Uh, in chapter 18, verse 3, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all, his, all that David his father had done. He was a good king. He did what was right. 
He had removed the high places and other elements of idol worship in Judah. He was a good king. And then uh, in verses, verse 5, is one of the key points here. It says, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. That's a, a pretty uh, wonderful uh, summary of someone's character, isn't it? Particularly for the, the writer of two kings. He trusted in the Lord. But when Assyria comes knocking on the door of Jerusalem, what does he trust in then? Like, like us, he knows the right answer. He knows he should be trusting in the Lord. But you get this interesting response from him in verse 14, where King Hezekiah sent to the king of Assyria, saying, I've done wrong, withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him, all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and the gold from the doors of the temple. What's he trusting in here? He's trusting in money. He thinks if I give enough money to the king of Assyria, then perhaps he'll leave me alone and, and we'll be safe. Well, it's clear that trusting in money does not work. Because Sennacherib, the, uh, the king of Assyria, he takes the money and still he sends a great army with these officials right to the, the walls of Jerusalem. Trusting in money doesn't work. Then the, the, the Rabshakeh is uh, apparently was probably a, a chief butler and seems to be a, a good linguist. He comes with this message from the king of Assyria. And here's, here's the key question again. Uh, in verse 19, the, the Rabshakeh says to those on the wall, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust? There it is again. That you have rebelled against me. This is the, the key question. Who do you trust in? What do you, on what do you rest this trust of yours? And Rabshakeh accuses Hezekiah of trusting in Egypt. Since the time of Solomon, there had been uh, uh, on and off uh, a kind of alliance between uh, the people of Israel and Egypt. And uh, the Rabshakeh says in verse 21, you are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. I don't know if uh, if you have had need of a, a walking stick. I hope not. But... Uh, if you do, and you, you're, you're leaning on your, your walking stick, you imagine, rather than some nice, comfortable handle, this walking stick is broken, and the top of it is like a, a, a shard with splinters sticking up. 
And every time you, you lean on it as you're walking along, that shard is piercing your hand. It's quite a striking image, isn't it? As, as you lean on Egypt, you're getting pierced in your hand. Trusting in people doesn't work. Hezekiah may have been trusting in the king of Egypt for chariots and horsemen uh, as an ally, but it didn't work. Trusting in people doesn't work. Trusting in money doesn't work. Trusting in people doesn't work. Then the uh, Rabshakeh uh, changes his tack, and he says in verse 22, But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? Now, it seems the Rabshakeh is um, confused at this point because the high places and these uh, altars that Hezekiah has removed were places of idolatry, idol worship, not true worship of the true God of Israel. But then he goes on to um, kind of contradict himself because in verse 25, he says, Is it without the Lord that I have come against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Hezekiah is, sorry, the the Rabshakeh is working from a a misunderstanding of who God is. He's saying, God told me to attack you. Doesn't this sounds so much like what the serpent said in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, planting that seed of doubt in their minds. Did God really say? Does God really want your good? Is he really on your side? He's not on your side. He's against you. He's not working for your good. He doesn't want you to be full of joy we can have these wrong ideas about God we can be trusting in an an idea of God that is actually not the true God perhaps uh, through the media or through uh, non-Christian friends and family we might get the impression at least, even if it's not explicit, that they don't really think much of our God. Are you Christians? You, you, you still suffer from COVID. You have your health problems. You have your financial problems and stress at work. Just like the rest of us. What has your God done for you? How is your God any different to the gods of Islam or Buddhism or materialism or secularism. Sometimes we can have those doubts in our minds. But that is trusting in an idea of God that is not the true God. But finally, we see Hezekiah doing what he should have done in the first place. In, in chapter 19, verse 1, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes 
a sign of great sadness. And he covered himself with sackcloth, a sign of true repentance. And what does he do? He went into the house of the Lord. He repents and goes to the Lord. And uh, he, he sends a, a message to Isaiah, asking Isaiah to pray. Interestingly, he, he calls God um, in uh, verse 4. It says, it may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh. He calls God your God to, to Isaiah, which I find interesting. Why, why is he saying your God? But then the response from God through Isaiah is in verse 6. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm told, uh, though I've never counted it myself, I'm told that this command comes up 365 times in the Bible. I, I've never checked, but uh, it, is, it does come up a lot. God commands us, do not be afraid. And he, he gives comfort. In effect, he's saying to Hezekiah, I'm in control. I will save you. Don't be afraid. And uh, the uh, Rabshakeh then leaves. He, he goes, the, the king of Assyria has moved from Lachish to another town, uh, Libna, uh, to fight there. And so then the, the king of Assyria sends a message back to Hezekiah, basically rehearsing the same kind of ideas that he's said already. And it's this idea that all these gods of all these other nations, they haven't been able to save their lands uh, for their people. Why should your God save you? Why should you trust in your God? I'm the great king, the king of Assyria. No one can stand in my way. He's equating true God with all these other gods. And uh, he says to Hezekiah in verse 10, do not let your God deceive you. The God in whom you trust. There's that key word again. Do not let the, your God in whom you trust deceive you. When Hezekiah receives this letter, what does he do? Verse 14, Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Again, he went up to the house of the Lord. He goes to God. And he prays a great prayer to a great God. He starts, O Lord God of Israel. This is the God of of our nation, of our sphere on earth. The God who's enthroned above the, the cherubim in verse 15. He's, he's in, enthroned in heaven above. 
He goes on, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Those, those other gods, the gods of Hamath and Arpad, Hena and Ivar, and the, the gods of uh, Sephavaim, however you say that, they're not gods at all. They were just things made of wood and stone by humans. Perhaps we might be we might not be tempted to make gods out of stone, but perhaps we might be tempted to make gods out of medicine, the government, money, a pastor. But those things, they're not wrong in, in and of themselves, but they are not gods. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 16, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And it, it's interesting then that uh, the, the aim of, the, the end of Hezekiah's prayer, the purpose for which he prays. Yes, he prays in verse 19 he prays uh, so now O lord our god save us please from his hand but what is the reason that he asks this he prays that god would save them so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you O lord are god alone his primary concern is for God to be glorified among all the nations of the earth, that they might know that you alone are God. Again, there's, God's response is so comforting uh, through Isaiah. Isaiah says in verse 20, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Israel, uh, uh, Assyria, I have heard. We have a God who hears our prayers. Isn't that wonderful? The God who created the heavens and the earth hears our prayers. And not only that, he then responds to this mocking and ridicule that the king of Assyria puffed up in all his pomp. And then he turns the tables. He turns the tables and then it's the king of Assyria that is being ridiculed and mocked in this song from verse 21. I won't go through it all, but uh, the, the end of the song is uh, particularly evocative, I, I think. Verse 20, uh, God says effectively to the king of Assyria, Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I'll put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. The image that came to my mind when I read this was of a... Uh, a little chihuahua yapping away, like, uh, boasting of its greatness. And then uh, God puts the lead on the dog, says, right, that's enough. You're going home. 
But apparently, the Assyrians, this is what the Assyrians would do to the people that they conquered, the kings that they conquered. They'd put the hook in the nose and put this bridle in their their mouths and drag them in triumph back to uh, their home. So God will deliver Hezekiah, he says, uh, in verse 34, I will defend this city to save it. And why is he going to save it? Why is he going to save Jerusalem? For my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Once again, it's, it's God's commitment to his glory and his faithfulness to his promises. That's why he's going to deliver his people. It's not uh, because Hezekiah was doing the right thing, saying the right words. Likewise, God delivers us not because we're good enough or because we have earned it or deserve it, not because we say the right words, but because God is committed to his glory and is faithful to his promises. And the way he delivers us from someone who is full of pomp and self, self-declared um, greatness, this great king, the king of Assyria, and all those who come after him, who mock the living God, is defeated by a greater king, the king of kings. And because we have a greater king, we can know that God hears our prayers. We can know his voice saying, do not be afraid. We can know that he is on our side. And we can know his deliverance. The result is that uh, after this prayer, that night... The angel of the Lord, verse, I'm looking at verse 35 now of chapter 19. That night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyria, of the Assyrians. And, and when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. That's a lot of dead bodies. It's about uh, the equivalent of about three quarters of Swansea. Can you imagine waking one morning and three quarters of Swansea, they're just lying there dead overnight. And Hezekiah and the people in Jerusalem, they didn't have to lift a finger. You know, how great this great king, the king of Assyria, with his great army, Hezekiah with his... Few men, however many they were, they couldn't even put enough men on 2,000 horses as per uh, the king of Assyria's challenge, his wager. But it was those who were with the Lord who were delivered. And then in this ultimate reversal, the king who was mocking the living God 
and mocking the king who went to the house of the Lord, the king of Assyria then goes back to his home, his home country, and he goes to the house of his God. And what happens then? As he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his God, Adramelech and Charezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. He thought he was so great. He thought he was so glorious. And yet, he is shamed in the house of his God. The God who he thought was so great that he had conquered other lands with all their gods. And no gods could uh, stand against him. In the house of his God, he ends up being killed by his own sons. So, let's not trust in in money or in people or in some false idea of who God is. But let's trust in the Lord. Whatever challenges and struggles you might be facing, whether it's worries about a virus or some other health issues, if it struggles with mental health, or financial pressures, or worries about the future of the church? Do we trust in money? That doesn't work. Do we trust in people, whether it's the government or the medics or a new pastor? It doesn't work. Do we trust in some false idea of who God is, that he is against us and not for us? that doesn't work. Let us be people who trust in the Lord.